Americans have almost always had a special relationship with our neighbors to the north. Canada and the United States share the longest international border in the world, stretching from the border between Lubeck, Maine, and Welshpool, New Brunswick, all the way to the northernmost border between Alaska and the Yukon Territory within the Arctic Circle. The two nations are also important trade partners, and they are very culturally intertwined. In recent years, in absolutely no part due to the incumbent leaders in both nations, relations have become a bit strained. Despite this, if you ask a Canadian who their greatest ally is, you'd be hard-pressed to find a person who doesn't say America, and a large number of Americans would likely say the same about Canada. However, this relationship wasn't as cooperative before Canada gained sovereignty from the British Empire. From the American Revolution to the end of the 19th century, there was on and off fighting between the United States and British-controlled Canada. During the American Revolution, Continental Army forces conducted an invasion of Quebec in the hopes of convincing the French Quebecois to join the fight against the British. Led by former New Jersey militia leader Philip Schuyler, the Continental Army took over large parts of the St. Lawrence River Valley as well as the area surrounding Lake Champlain. However, they were soon driven out of the province by the British. The Continental Army also tried to invade Nova Scotia, but a similar result occurred, and they were unsuccessful. Approximately 40 years later, the United States once again fought against Canada in the War of 1812. Border disputes between the two nations led to a two-year war in which British-Canadian forces burnt Washington, D.C. to the ground. In 1838, American and Canadian lumberjacks and militia fought against each other in the Aroostook War due to disagreements over the location of the border between Maine and New Brunswick. However, perhaps the most odd war between the two nations took place in 1859. While there were decades of tension behind the start of the war, it was started by a single, seemingly insignificant event. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 13th episode of this podcast, and I'm glad you've stuck around for this episode. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Sodak Zach. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. The over 5,000-mile border between the United States and Canada hasn't been there forever. 
1857, the Northwest Boundary Survey took place in an attempt to formalize the border between the two nations. Under the Oregon Treaty, the 49th parallel was established as the border. However, as Google Maps wasn't a thing back then, the individuals responsible for marking off the border didn't exactly keep the lines perfectly straight. If you go onto Google Maps and zoom in a lot on part of the border, you'll notice that the border actually consists of a bunch of jagged lines. They also made some pretty serious errors in their surveying. For example, there is a lake in between Minnesota, Manitoba, and Ontario called the Lake of the Woods. The original treaty stated that the border would go to the top of this lake, which supposedly was at the 49th parallel. However, the lake actually stretched much farther north than expected. This meant that the border had to go all the way to the top of this lake before returning back down to the 49th parallel. This cut off a small chunk of Minnesota called the Northwest Angle. The 100 or so residents of this piece of land are separated from Canada by their land border, but are also separated from their own state by the Lake of the Woods. Towns like this also include Hyder, Alaska, which only borders British Columbia and the Alaskan Wilderness, and Alberg, Vermont, which only borders Quebec and Lake Champlain. Even more strange is the situation in Point Roberts, Washington. While marking the border between Washington and British Columbia, it was agreed upon that the border wouldn't go straight through Vancouver Island, Canada, but would instead wrap around the island so as not to trap everyone on one side of the island. Despite this, they still overlooked the tiny peninsula of Sawasin right next to Vancouver Island. The border cuts straight through the peninsula, leaving the American town of Point Roberts completely cut off from the rest of Washington by Canada. About 1,300 Americans live in Point Roberts, and there generally isn't a reason for a resident to leave the town, except for the fact that there aren't any high schools there, so teens living in Point Roberts have to take a 40-minute bus ride every day to their high school in Blaine, Washington. In one day, these students will go through four border checkpoints to go to and from school. A similar situation to Point Roberts exists for Canadians on Campobello Island, New Brunswick, who are cut off from their own province by Maine. There are also a few disputed territories between the U.S. and Canada. One of the most notable examples is Machias Seal Island, an island in the Atlantic Ocean that the U.S. claims as part of Maine and Canada claims as part of New Brunswick. Both nations have taken a rather apathetic approach to this tiny, uninhabited island since the only real benefit of having it is revenue from tourism and lobster fishing. In 1859, two years after the Northwest Boundary Survey occurred, there was still ambiguity over the status of the islands located in the Strait of Juan de Fuca between Washington and Vancouver Island. 
However, the islands were only accessible by boat, meaning that immigration between the U.S. and Canada wasn't really an issue, so the two nations both passively held claims on the island without really doing anything to prevent citizens of the other country from living on the islands. But this all changed on June 15, 1859. On that day, an American farmer named Lyman Cutler who lived on San Juan Island, saw a large black pig eating his potatoes in his garden. This wasn't the first time Cutler had seen this pig in his garden, and in a fit of rage, he made a decision that would leave a mark on really obscure history forever. Cutler took his hunting rifle and shot the pig, killing it. Little did he know, the pig was actually owned by Charles Griffin, an Irish-Canadian rancher also living on San Juan Island. When Griffin found out that Cutler had killed his pig, Cutler offered him $10 in compensation, which is worth about $300 today. Griffin demanded 10 times that amount of money, and Cutler refused. According to bystanders, Cutler reportedly told Griffin that he should have, and I quote, kept his pig out of his potatoes, to which Griffin replied, It's up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig. Eventually, the British government in Canada threatened to arrest Cutler if he didn't give Griffin the money. In response, the American government asserted its sovereignty over San Juan Island and offered military protection to Cutler. It was the start of the Pig War. Americans in Washington and Canadians in British Columbia became very hostile towards each other, and nationalism became very prevalent in these places. General George McClellan, who would later serve as governor of New Jersey, theorized that the shooting of the pig was actually planned so that the two nations would have an excuse to go to war. However, the American and Canadian residents of San Juan Island went about their lives as usual, and they continued to live mostly in harmony with each other. At the same time, the military presence of both countries grew rapidly, and by August 10th, there were almost 500 American soldiers with 14 cannons and over 2,000 British soldiers with five warships on San Juan Island. The military command of both sides gave its soldiers near-identical instructions, don't fire the first shot. The American and British-Canadian forces relentlessly hurled insults at each other in the hopes of getting the other side to fire the first shots, but neither side would do it. Eventually, Vancouver Island Governor James Douglas ordered British Rear Admiral Robert Baines to fire on American soldiers on San Juan Island. Baines refused, saying, It is foolish for two great nations to fight a war over a squabble about a pig. The Americans agreed with this sentiment, and the shots were never fired. Now, here's the thing. Neither President James Buchanan nor Queen Victoria even knew about the skirmish on San Juan Island yet. When the news reached Washington, D.C. and London, the national governments of the U.S. and U.K. were embarrassed that the situation had gotten so out of hand, and they immediately began negotiations to prevent the start of a deadly war. 
the job of deciding the status of San Juan Island was given to an arbitrator. In this instance, the arbitrator was Kaiser Wilhelm I of Germany. He handed the task off to a four-man team of diplomats who decided that San Juan Island belonged to the United States. Eleven years later, on November 25, 1872, the last British soldiers were withdrawn from San Juan Island. It turned out that the only casualty of the Pig War was the pig. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I'd say this week's topic was much more humorous than usual, and I hope you appreciated that. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.